0: I'm Craig Kissick, and this is how you sell without selling out, Rogers That. Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, and welcome to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. Uh, I have a confession to make. I am a weird guy. I am eclectic. I, uh, I have a, uh, a knack for collecting. Uh, my mom called me a hoarder as a kid, and I said, no, mom, I just love memories, and I never want to get rid of them. Uh, since I was about three years old, I loved uh, I loved memorabilia. I loved things that were tangible, baseball cards, um, records, CDs, anything that really got me excited about um, that phase of my life. And as I've gotten older, um, I've actually gravitated even more so towards things in the memorabilia space, uh, especially stuff that reminds me of being a kid. And um, our guest today reminds me a lot of myself. Uh, and what I love about him is that Um, What he loves, he loves more than anybody else possibly could love this niche of collecting. And uh, what I love even more is he's found a way to go and couple his passion for collecting, and I'm gonna get to what he actually collects in a second, uh, into a career. So much so to where he's been the president of said career, uh, which gives him a different level of clout. Uh, Pop culture, sports and music is my forte. And this guy is our own living, breathing, uh, leader to where, if Jurassic Park was to open, he would be the gatekeeper. Uh, I'm gonna have to read this while looking at a teleprompter. But uh, my buddy Craig Kissick is the former uh, uh, president of the Association of Applied Paleontological. I'm just gonna say apps, and he's gonna tell you what it stands because what it stands for. Because I can't get there. But uh, when I collect baseball cards and records, he collects fossils, meteorites, gemstones. Uh, fine minerals, etc. And one of my favorite memories of last year when I met Craig is I was at Heritage Auctions for a meeting unrelated to anything that we're going to talk about today. Um, But he just had a presence about him that just made you feel really comfortable and safe and welcoming, which is what I think we're called to do as leaders in this world is just make anybody no matter who it is, feel like they're supposed to be there. Uh, I met him and within a half a second, he's like, hey, I recognize you. Do you want to come watch Jurassic Park on the screen? And I was like, what? That sounds awesome. I wish I could and I can't. But so much, he was so excited and so passionate about what he did is he gave me a tour of uh, a moon rock, he gave me a tour of some fossils. And even if I didn't give two craps about that, I left excited because of I, I got an ounce of his passion embedded in me, which is what I try to do every single day. So uh, that's a long-winded intro, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Craig Kissick,
1: Craig, thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me, Rogers. I appreciate it. How was the intro? It was pretty good. It was a little bit long, but it made me feel so yeah, good. Yeah, sorry.
0: I, I, know, I I'm, I'm
1: impressed. I had you, my, you my got, cup of you...
0: coffee, which I found out Craig doesn't drink caffeine, but I finished my <laughs> cup of coffee and I gave you a 28 minute intro. Hey, so. that's
1: all right. That's uh, all right.
0: So uh, let let let's let's uh, let's kick it off here. Let's talk about uh, what makes Craig such a unique person where uh i would describe you as fascinating and
1: i appreciate that now for real
0: but let's let, let's get let's let's walk a mile in your shoes and, and get us to the to where we are today
1: well my my story and i've kind of told it before and i actually do have a presentation that i've given at heritage i've given it to the pro i call it a boy a book and a rock Okay. So a a book and a rock. rock, Yeah. So to basically to go, I mean, where I am now. Okay. I'm, I'm the, I'm the director of natural history for heritage auctions and I am the current president of the association of applied paleontological sciences. So, So basically I, so I do have, I do have a career and, you know, some serious involvement in my, my avocation, which is pretty amazing. But all of this actually really started when I was nine years old, my maternal grandfather was kind of my special relative and my buddy. And you know, my dad helped me with a lot of stuff too, but my grandpa would take me to the Cincinnati Museum of Natural History where I was from. And he just saw, he saw that spark that you still see decades later. On my ninth birthday, he bought me a book and a rock and he signed the book to me, to Craig, on his ninth birthday to encourage his interest in geology, Grandpa Gruber. So I had this book and it's kind of cool. It's the field guide to North American minerals. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Bible to people in the mineral collecting world written by a, a guy named Fred Poe. Dr. Freddy is, was, was a legend. Long story short, I jump ahead and I'm sticking with this a little bit. I went to college and oil and gas was down when I went to school so I majored in business but I took geology classes every time I had an elective so I kind of got the equivalent of having a geology degree from UT Austin and I learned all that stuff I had jobs coming out of school and traveled and when my Buddies were playing golf or going to bars. I was down in creeks and local towns looking for rocks and fossils and stuff like that. Stuck with it. And then in the early nineties, I met a gentleman who actually started the Discovery Store. And that actually started here in Dallas. Um, He opened a store at the Dallas Galleria. I kind of had what I'd call at the time, a little midlife crisis. And I said, I'm done with all this business stuff. I've got a finance and real estate degree from UT. You maybe don't even know that. And an MBA from SMU. So I immediately said, well, let's go sell dinosaurs. And sort of, so I... Well, what, what, what year was this?
0: This would have been in the early 90s. So this, was this at the precipice of Jurassic Park?
1: Uh, during, during the time we were doing the stores, it did open. And of course, I did demand that we shut the company down and take everybody to North Park and stand in line and see the first showing, oh, of yeah. course. So we did that, but it was pretty amazing. So we built that company up. We ultimately sold it to the Discovery Channel, hence the sort of similarity in the name and stuff. And then I kind of danced around doing some stuff on my own hit or miss for a while and then this opportunity to do this big time at heritage came to me about 10 years ago and it just kind of I've run with it ever since so it really kind of tells you though how something seminal in your life can really put you on a different trajectory. And there there are a lot of what I love, too, is there's a lot of perceptual failures in that. Oh, this didn't work out. That didn't work out. But if none of that happened, I wouldn't be where I am today.
0: Did did you feel and again, the premise of this podcast and why you're just such a a perfect guest is you're literally doing what you're meant to be doing. Did you go through a phase where you were just doing what everyone else was doing? Because that's what you thought you were supposed to do, or you just never had that feel good. It's like when you fall in love, or you hear a song or you you know, you find a, a, a fossil or a meteorite that just feels like home. Did you go through a phase of just like, what the hell am I doing and I, this is not what I'm, I'm meant to be?
1: Well, I kinda of, kind of knew that. I was actually very briefly, and I won't, you know, I don't even wanna go into it, but very briefly, out after grad school, I was working as a litiga- litigation consultant for a law firm. And you would've thought that was the dream job and the nice suits with braces and all the cool stuff and the big office downtown and everything. Hated every minute of it. I quit at three PM on a Monday, threw my security guard or card to the security guard, drove to the Natural History Museum, stormed into the curator's office and said, What in the world do I do? And he goes, Hmm, interesting education. We really, you know, don't have a lot of jobs here at the museum. This was before the Perot and back when the Natural History Museum was down in Fair Park. And he goes, you know, a lot of our people are volunteers. You know, you're a young man starting out, you probably would like to make some money and build a career. And I said, okay, what do I do? He said, join the Dallas paleontological, your favorite word for the day. Paleont, one more time. Dallas paleontological society, yes. So this is basically the weekend warriors who go out and hunt fossils, okay? So they had a meeting down at Fair Park, and this is another one, Rogers, of those absolute seminal magical moments. I went down there and I was wearing a suit and tie because I'd been doing other stuff during the day. We were locked out of the building. It was at the Magnolia Lounge right there as you go into the entrance. People know it from walking to Go State Fair. And this wonderfully genteel, gray-haired gentleman came up to me and he said, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm here for the paleo, And He goes, well, are you in the right place? You know, we're we're all wearing flannel shirts and driving pickup trucks and, you know, having boxes of fossils and rocks. And I said I gave him the whole explanation. I said, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm trying to find this. I've got this business background, but I really know my passion is for rocks and fossils and stuff. And what what do I do? And he's actually the person he was a retired school teacher who collected minerals, and he actually was the one who collected minerals, with the guy who had started the discovery store, kind of did the same thing I did. This guy who had a huge Highland Park successful accounting practice, sold his mineral collection so he could start the, the store. So all these little things that magically happen, I know it's, it's kind of a way to, to open yourself to let you be pushed in the way that fate wants to push you. You know, I'd like to take credit for everything and say, wow, I took these big risks and I did all this stuff and I knew where I wanted to go. Not not at all. I kind of let, but but I had this, it was almost like a calling. I do feel like it's a it's a destiny for me to be doing what I'm doing. It just me a securitist route and a long time to get there.
0: Well, so calling a timeout on that. Again, I think a lot of people, <laughs> you know, you get that call and God's talking to you and, and, and sometimes he's screaming at you, but most people get scared of the thought of actually jumping from something that's relatively secure. Right. And you took it to the point where you pretty much had your Jerry McGuire moment, see you later and, and I'm out. But what was that process, especially being in your twenties, you know, which is a really overwhelming time for really anybody. But you're in your 20s and you are this unique figure, you, you have a commanding presence. Jurassic Park is really how we're getting educated again on literal dinosaurs. What was that path like to where you really wanted to go and turn into a career?
1: Well, I mean, to, to me, and, and again, this is this sounds a little bit more like kind of book fodder, but I mean, everything's a choice. You have a choice to be happy. You have a choice to be sad. You have a choice to what you want to do. You know, you can succumb or you can break out. You can take risks. You can be whatever it is. And I think in my case, I just kind of knew this thing was kind of calling me. You know, it was just... So I'm saying, what does that look like? Well, I mean, you just, I just... I just knew. Like, I just couldn't get away from it. I mean, I always... I just always liked it. I was just always lit up by it. And I kind of knew I would go down that, that real corporate business road and it just wasn't for me and I wasn't happy. And eventually I thought, okay, maybe I want to do something that makes me happy. You know, I could be miserable and it wasn't going to be about how much success I had or how much money I made. I was not happy and I wanted to go do something that gave me a little fulfillment. I mean, life's short, and, and I think, you know, I'm very fortunate, I know that, but it's, it's a much better ride if you can do something that you're passionate about. And, you know, my biggest, one of my biggest blessings in life is being able to actually have a career and make a living doing what would be my hobby. You know, how great is that? I mean, we're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go all over the place, but that's part of the reason we understand each other. We're kind of in that space. I went down to the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History yesterday and picked up a 20 foot long section of a hadrosaur dinosaur tail that has mummified skin impressions and T-Rex bite marks. I'm winning, okay? I'm winning. Okay, later in this podcast, you're going to hold a piece of the moon. You're cooler than all your friends. Okay, we're right like right now, you and I are hitting the apex. Okay, so we're we're you know we're not we're not button to get on base. We're hitting home runs out of the stadium
0: in the World Series Game Seven. Yes, and exactly.
1: So it's pretty cool. So but admit, which
0: is, is, but again, there's a there's a part of me that's jealous. And these podcasts, ironically, they've changed my life, and it's it's given me the ability to pivot where, um, you know, I thought what I was doing and and, and I, I had my, I feel like God was calling me for a long time. And I think I finally had my epiphany when our daughter was born, where I was like, man, what am I doing every single day? Just getting my butt kicked for a living. There's gotta be oh, a way yeah. to go and, and honestly make some, uh, make some edits to my life. And it, it was really kind of right around the time when I met you and I had lunch with you. And again, we have so much in common and we have nothing in common, which makes us, you know, Kindred spirit, but you've you've just done it to the next level. So maybe walk us through, again, what you're doing
1: is you're the only guy that does what you do on planet Earth, right? Well, there's there's a handful of people that do what I do in terms of doing this for an auction company. They're basically certainly based in different states and for the most part overseas. Yeah, but you're doing it for the 800-pound gorilla. Well, I'm I'm certainly doing it for the American version. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Heritage did, I think we did, you know, we have 40 different categories and, you know, we're dominant in so many collectibles and everything. I think we did about $1.4 billion in auctions last year. So, yeah, we're a gorilla. Yeah, that bird will fly. There's no question about Uh, it. So so do you remember the first time, whether it's at Heritage or at the
0: previous uh, companies, the first time that you had a moment, you're like, okay, this cannot be real life, whether you were holding the, you know, the dinosaur tail or a piece of the moon or maybe it was even real life kryptonite what was the first moment where you just had to take a step back and be like this is a joke this well, is my job and i'm so glad that i took the jump from corporate you know vanilla america to what i'm doing now
1: well there's a lot of them but here it is here's going to be if you if you want the goosebump moment here it is okay so when i was nine my grandfather gave me that book 18 years later, I went to my first major gem and mineral show, and there's a whole sort of trade show level of mineral and fossil and meteorite dealers out there. The two major shows in America are the Tucson show in February, where I'm about to leave to go to here on Thursday, and the Denver show in September. First show I went to was the Denver show in, I believe, 1992. Fred Poe, author of said book, was out there and somebody had fortunately told me to take the book with me. I thought I was gonna be identifying minerals. No, they said, go talk to that old guy over there in the tweed jacket. He signed the book back to me with appreciation to grandpa, Fred Poe, hmm. 1992. So when my place is burning down, what do you think I'm grabbing going out the door? The book, baby. The book. Okay. So that was seminal where in kind of homage to my grandfather, I had then met the author of this book and I'm, I'm going to the show to buy and, you know, minerals and fossils for this company. I mean, that's kind of where I really knew it tweaked. And the interesting thing where I want to kind of take us on this little tangent is it it took a long time to get there. and, And after that, there were, you know, that, that, Company went away, and then you know I was doing my own stuff, but getting back in other things, and it took a while. And you know I'm kind of at Heritage, and everybody's like, "Boy, wouldn't that have been great if he had that job at Heritage back in the day?" I'm like, "Well, it wasn't available to me back in the day, and I wouldn't have known what to do with it." So the one thing I do want to say to you and anybody who might be listening is, you know, everybody knows Mitch album from Week uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Okay, he also wrote a book called Timekeeper, and the whole concept is that basically we don't choose time; time chooses us. Okay, so the deal is, you know, the things I'm, I'm where I am supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. I I couldn't have accelerated it. I couldn't have, you know, there, there's a, there's a magic to sort of being in your own space in your own time. And I kind of think that was about, I, I couldn't have made this happen quicker. And again, if I hadn't done all the weird things, majoring in business instead of geology, leaving the job at the law firm, to nothing, to you know, trying stuff on my own. You have to have those things. They all build towards you. I mean, we're a collection of every experience we've had up until this point, and it's okay to fail, and it's okay to take risks, and it's okay to not understand where you're going. You might actually get there quicker.
0: I remember you telling me that at lunch. We had a really uh, entertaining lunch, of, and it was talking about his, his wine company he owns, some cereal, some ice cream, a little bit of everything. But then he gave me these nuggets where literally I I went back and I shared that with my office in our little uh, social media group. It's time does not you do not choose time. Time chooses you. But again, it goes back to a loaded question I asked you a a minute ago about, you know, taking that actual step, which I think that shows a different kind of fearlessness. And I I know that I didn't do it for a really, really long time. And I think, again, you you epitomize this. Okay, okay, so back to your career, back to how do you couple the fanboy with the employee, like the leader. What was the first moment where somebody maybe sent something on consignment to auction and you're just freaking out, but you're having to control yourself?
1: Well, I mean, it it, it really depends. I mean, part part of the thing about talking about selling here a little bit is, you know, when I first went to work for the discovery store, I'm, you know, I'm working in a store in the Dallas Galleria, you know, making a, a slight hourly wage after just you know, getting a double major at UT and an MBA from SME. Okay, that's not exactly how it's supposed to go, you know, even to the chagrin of my father at the time. But I was in there and they were selling incredible stuff. They had this petrified wood, coffee table in front of a fireplace set up, and they had cases of minerals and fossils, and I already obviously knew a good bit about that stuff, and I became super salesman. They couldn't control me, because I would just go up to people and start talking about them, and they're like, oh my gosh, i got to buy that, you know? And, and I still think that, the, who's still a dear friend of mine, but um, Rick Rodder, who still owns that company, I think will tell you that that one month of May of 92 or whenever that I worked in the store was still the highest grossing month they've ever had that was non-seasonal, and that was just my, I've never even been a salesperson before, but it wasn't about that. It was about converting my passion. If I'll tell you, if you talk to me about minerals, fossils, or meteorites, you're going to love them. I don't care what you know or what you think you like. You're coming to the dark side in a hurry because that's that's i, I, I don't a, that's mean, a i'm all I think It is that, a perfect why, segue. Why don't
0: we share a little bit? This is the first time we've done a true yes, show and tell. Absolutely. Um,
1: what do we have here? Uh, well, I'm, I mean, just because we kind of did it, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll uh, we won't bury the lead. So take this piece, hold this in your hand. That is a piece of the moon, brother. No so man. now you are you are the man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll I'll be clear. You know, so what is this called? Well, it, it's it's a lunar meteorite. Okay, I want to be clear about one one little caveat here, especially for somebody who who you know is the director of natural history for an auction company moon rocks that are picked up by apollo astronauts are illegal to own privately they're they're belong to the government and they're administered by nasa this is a lunar meteorite it is a piece of the moon but what happens is an asteroid's flying through space hits the lunar surface and compresses it into basically a new sedimentary rock that's a feldspathic breccia meaning it's a it's a conglomerate of other similar rocks that are put together that's how sedimentary rocks are formed they're pieces of other rocks compressed together the Impact forces some of these pieces off into space, and some of them, fortunately, make it to Earth and land here as a meteorite. Now, this was did classified. you find that? No, no, no. This I got this from a, you know, from a dealer. But what happens is they, basically, we compare this material to what the astronauts brought back. And then a, a scientist at a university typically will classify. There's a there's a thing called the meteoritical bulletin or the met bull online. And you can look up any meteorite and tell you all about it, who owns it, what's what's it consist of, and what so this will have an NWA or a Northwest Africa number. If you think about it, there are a lot of places where meteorite recovery tends to be a little more commonplace. If you find a black or a black, brown stone sitting atop the Stark Sahara Desert or the Antarctica ice or something, it's pretty much has to be a meteorite because it can't really be anything else. So, and now that there's so much money associated with this, I mean, lunar meteorites can be worth over $100 a gram so I mean this, you know, this right here is a thirty thousand dollar rock. No way. So I mean, there, So it's there's an incentive for even local people there who knew, know what it's worth to find these, take them into town, make a phone call to some rich American, and next thing you know, I'm handing this to Rogers Healy over this table. So, so this that's is my gift today. <laughs> <Is> it, <laughs> Boy, if a, only a, if it was a piece of the moon. But What's this, next? Well, Mars is called the red planet, but it's actually green. No way. So that, that is part of a Martian surgotite, which is a certain kind of Martian meteorite. There's three kind of varieties Why of rock Why is my rocks. tendency to smell it? Well, I mean, you know, everybody thought the moon was made of cheese, too, right? No, people people smell like rocks is Mars? all the time. That's Mars, yeah. So it's a little piece of Mars. No Mars way. is even more. Are these yours? No, they belong to Heritage. My gosh! But this this is even more of a rarity than the lunar stuff. But um, pretty crazy. Same kind of thing. How you do know, you? Again, so that had to fall from Mars. Yeah, it's something some some big in, interspace collision had to knock this off of Mars, and it had to get to Earth, which is pretty crazy. But these are highly collectible. And what next? Time, How much is that Mars piece worth? That piece is probably well. It's it's almost equivalent. That piece is probably worth about. I mean, it's almost worth 30 grand, but we'll call it 15 gram. but it's, it's size wise, there's a little bit of a, you know, catch up there on it. Well, what, what else we got? This is pretty cool. Everybody, you were talking about other movies. I like the movie Megalodon, even though it's extremely campy. I'm, not, Megalodon I'm not afraid tooth. I'm gonna drop it. Okay, well, this is a Megalodon tooth. It's effectively, it's, it's not directly, but we'll call it an ancestral great white. And if you think a great white tooth is about two inches long, a contemporary modern great white, these teeth go up to seven inches. They have razor sharp serrations on the side. That's real? Yeah. And these, and these were there were rows and rows of these. So as, as it would you know bite and break off in its prey, there'd be another one to fill its space. They conjecture that these sharks could have been 45 to 50 feet long. Oh so you're God. talking about a shark, a great white shark size of a school bus. I mean, how crazy is that? So pretty impressive, but how, these- How big are great whites? 20 to 22 feet max recorded so on his- size? Easily. And that's, and that's a mathematical extrapolation. They could be even bigger than that. So these were the apex predator of the ancient ocean beyond belief. They were just killing and eating machines. I mean, these things were just so efficient, how you, it was how crazy. You someone, so someone sends that to y'all to sell it? Yeah, yeah, we take anything on consignment. So there are people out there digging for these things. The interesting thing is even though they were obviously you know, they were from the ocean in origin, most of the better teeth are found in river deposits because in the actual ocean, things are going to get, you know, turned over and beat up all the time. But in river deposits, you can pull these right out of the mud and they're in pretty pristine condition. I mean, if you see the preserved enamel, the root, the little burlet here, I mean, that, that tooth is, is near perfect. And you just don't find that, especially in larger sizes. Can I ask how much that is? It's probably a three grand tooth. Seriously? Yeah. Wow, well, there were do you a lot think of Would buy that to per- turn into a necklace? Uh, not that size, but I've seen it done with oh, more seriously? reasonable ones. Yeah, that that thing, that, even a guy your size, that would look a little, shot. a little seventies discount or <laughs> disco, whatever it would be for sure. So, is that Kryptonite? Ah, uh, this thing Got is that it. from Planet Krypton? Uh, this, is, this is a green barrel. It's just a large gemstone. We just we deal in a Heritage has a very vibrant jewelry de- department for things that are set in jewelry, but we just kind of do cut stones sometimes. So, a uh, green barrel is basically chemically it's very similar to an emerald but it's not dark enough to be considered an emerald and we just like some big some people will collect big stones just as they are like they would collect minerals so you know kind of a neat sort of deal that's really more of a crazy thing just because it's big but you know and faceted stones and with anything when you're doing something to it you got to start with a much larger piece than you're going to end up with well how much is that worth oh i don't know a stone like this is probably worth about eight to ten thousand Oh my god. You know, if it was an emerald of course it would be, you know, we'd be more more in the higher price things. And then here's a gold nugget. And gold gold is something that I Whoa, find it's so heavy. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean it's a it's a metal, you know. What's great about this is, you know, m- nuggets are what I love to tell people about is is think about this. This is so fascinating to me. Gold is uh, Only about 2% of all gold that's ever been mined exists in nugget form because gold is always refined into jewelry, into coins and things. Gold, you know, humans melt gold down, okay? So it's only 2% of gold even exists in nugget form. A one-ounce gold nugget is as rare as a five-carat diamond, and people don't get their head around that either, and I'll say it wrong. How many ounces is that? This is, I don't know, this is probably, I I hadn't weighed this piece or whatever, but it's a few ounces, And you know, gold's what, almost 2000 an ounce right now, just it melt. And again, because of the rarity, that's a collectible thing. And I know one of the things you wanna talk about was the giant Alaskan gold nugget that we sold at Heritage at the end of last year. And you know it was the largest gold nugget ever found in the state of Alaska. And you think about how associated Alaska is with gold mining and stuff like that is pretty, pretty insane. It was 21.6 ounces. About two thirds of it was gold because it mixed with the mineral quartz. Gold often, you know, often on quartz. It's about the size of your head, and, and you know, and Heritage realized a, a $750,000 value on that, which is pretty neat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it it was crazy because a guy who was prospecting, and at this point, he was actually using like a bulldozer, saw this piece over there and thought, that doesn't look right, went down to get it, and when he found it, he didn't know what to do, so he hid it under a tree and then ran into the nearest town to kind of tell people and confirm what he had. It's kind of, it's funny how some of these stories get, you know, so interesting, too, Well, people come to us, and of course, it's typically they've inherited something, or of course, they found something of actual value at a garage sale, you know, or they've dug something themselves. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but once in a while, there's some really delightful stories behind the things we get to deal with at Heritage. Wow. Well, we got one more piece. We do. This is um, probably one of the most unique pieces of petrified wood. That you're going to see people know petrified wood that is from the Pacific Northwest that has all the browns and creams. It looks like wood. People are into the colorful rainbow wood from Arizona that they make into bookends and tables because it's colorful. This is called cola wood, which is short for chrysocolla. Chrysocolla, like malachite and uh, azurite, are a secondary copper mineral, and this gives it this beautiful turquoise color. So this comes from Turkey, which is a pretty exotic location for petrified wood. But that's how we do it. So again. I can't get away from the nerddom of the science, but you know people don't understand petrified wood. So so wood is porous like your bones. So if we we'll, let's talk about the Arizona wood, which is so popular. So you have these giant coniferous or effectively pine trees that were living 200 million years ago in Arizona when the dinosaurs were starting to cruise around Wyoming and Montana and Utah. So these trees die and fall over, they go into a river and they log jam up, and they get covered with 2,000 feet of overburden. And the important thing is, for most things to fossilize, they need to get buried very quickly so that wind and water and animals don't act on them. You know, it's hard to have something be fossilized, take something, So when they're covered in this overburden, hydrothermal currents come through, which is basically water with chemicals, and through what's called capillary attraction, everybody remembers from school biology, capillary. In your body. The, the porous nature of the wood absorbs The chemicals and cell by cell replaces the original wood into agate or rock. I mean, how crazy is that story? I mean, just the the science behind how this is, and now you have what was once wood is a rock, and it just absolutely can be cut and polished into some of those beautiful stuff you have.
0: Is it even fair to ask you how you find balance between your work and your life because it's there's overlap is substantial
1: well yeah in my case what what i do is a large portion of who i am certainly and i kind of as my my hobby overlaps with this and i mean my involvement with the aaps we talked about which is a group that sort of oversees the commercial dealers i mean i said i'm about to go the tucson gem and mineral show which is one of my favorite times of the year it's to me it's kind of a dysfunctional family reunion most of the people i deal with in this industry are friends First, it's almost just icing on the cake. We get do business together. I will be running around with people who dig up dinosaurs and collect meteorites and import fossils from Morocco and go, you know, dive in rivers for shark teeth. I mean, it's pretty amazing. They're really the Indiana Jones people. I've found a little more kind of, if you will, sophisticated way to make a living. I don't have to get as dirty as they do to do what I do. But it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we make, you know, we put a lot of pride in the catalogs we put out at Heritage, and Heritage gives us a lot of latitude and resources and. As I said, it's how crazy that I told you, you know, I spent the day yesterday down in Bryan, Texas, getting a mummified dinosaur tail. I mean, this is crazy, right? And, and, and I'll, you know, I know we're kind of winding down. One of the craziest no. things, when you come next time to Heritage, and I'm going to get you to come out for the preview for our March auction, we just brought in a 17 kilogram, that's 37 and a half pounds, converted to <laughs> U.S., of the moon. It's one of the largest pieces of the moon in existence, and certainly one of like the largest moon, pieces. Like moon or but like well, lunar meteorite it's supposed lunar to be a lunar, meteorite. but oh, this is this. Legally, great. you can't sell. But the moon. this was found in the country of Mali in 2021 by camel shepherds. Oh can't God. make this stuff up. But it's gorgeous. It's you know it's the size of a almost the size of a basketball, and it looks great. And I mean, we'll have videos of it. It'll be on display at Heritage. And I mean, it's it's amazing when you think about. It, there's probably well, well less than a thousand pounds of lunar material on the earth, whether it was from astronauts or Voyager missions or lunar meteorites or whatever. And we're talking about almost 40 pounds of that. I mean, this is a pretty neat, finite resource with an incredible story and what a what a trip it made coming from space to get here. I mean, you just, it is How, it, much, it's how much is that going to sell for you, Well, think? we've got, we've got an estimate on that of 800,000 and up. I mean that it really should go for well over a million dollars. Oh my You gosh. know, it really, but, but it, again, it's, it's a good day to be a camel. Well, a it camel is, shepherd. it is, but I also go back to one of the most interesting things. This is a hard sell category for me because unlike the stuff that you know, at heritage like sports, comics, coins, things that are commoditized, things that are graded, those are easy. Art's a little more understood. This is, everybody loves this, but then they go, but am I gonna buy it? Am I gonna invest in it? What am I gonna do with it? That's cool, but where do I put it? You know, it's a really harder kind of thing, but I go the other way in my mind, and I look at that, and yeah, we can we can talk about how lunar material could be, you know, north of $100 a gram or whatever, but it's like, it's, an, it's almost a 40 pound piece of the moon how is that not priceless? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it really, and and that's what gets me too, because having the business background I do, and I think that's why I'm good at my job. I have a duality. I understand the business and the making money and how to do the deals and all the stuff about that. I'm, you know, formally trained in that way, but my passion and my love of the material and understanding the material. And it's not even that I know a little more about the scientific aspects of some of these than, you know, somebody else who might walk in here. But again, you know, even if you didn't like petrified wood or megalodon teeth or lunar meteorites and you're sitting across from me, you do now. Fan. <laughs> uh,
0: best advice you've ever received?
1: Um, wow, that's a really, really good question. Um, I should have thought about that. I don't, that's a good question. It, it probably was something my dad told me once, but I actually don't know what it was, if that makes <laughs> sense. Well, no, I mean, my dad was kind of a very... Very very conservative, very quiet man. But every once in a while, he kind of say one of those zingers that would sort of stick with you. You know, I mean, I mean, to to put it trite, just because it's funny. Of course, it would be buy low, sell high. I mean, you know, that, that's kind of where he went. But, but there's always bigger implications of stuff like that too. Yeah. So it was kind. Of, and, and and I love that. I mean, like I said, when I. You know, when I first started, when I really was first started at Heritage, this was about 2013, this is almost 10 years ago, they they used to have this thing called Second Tuesdays. And in the Fine and deck Arts area, which my department's under, they would have guest speakers come in and we'd invite our VIP clients and people to come and we'd have a little kind of wine and cheese thing and you have a little nice lecture. And they asked me to lecture and, and I... I was nervous. I, I really had no idea. I didn't kind of realize that sort of the stage was something I actually enjoyed once I got into it. I really kind of, I drove off that energy. And, you know, that's when I first gave that talk, a boy in a book in Iraq. but to look out there in the audience and my father's passed now, but I mean, my father and my mother were both there and I'm thinking about my grandfather and I'm some of my friends are there and the people that I worked with where I finally landed in a department where I have the passion is kind of, you know, those are the kind of moments where you really go, it's, it's bigger and better than you think it is. And it's, it's much more important. You know, I, I hope I never make a decision solely because of money or solely because of career or whatever, because there's, there's too much, life's bigger than that. Hmm. You know, life's bigger than that. So you just have to, you you just have to see the forest for the trees. I like that. What about the advice you'd give to somebody that's listening to this that has that,
0: inner Craig, whether it's, whether it's with meteorites and fossils, or it's something that has nothing to do with what we've talked about, what's the advice you'd give them?
1: Well, it's twofold. I'd say, I'd say, first of all, listen to that voice. If you have a passion and you know what it is, you are blessed and you need, you need to work real hard to try and go that way. If you think it's going to result in the kind of fulfillment that someone like you and I have. Okay. That's it. The second thing I would say though, is don't, you, you can't fake it. One thing I see is people will they'll hit certain milestones in their life and say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn to play the guitar or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start getting into wine or I mean, you can't really make. I mean, you have it or you don't, you know, it's in there. I, I didn't choose to make, you know, paleontology and mineralogy and stuff at my my my, I, it, it was there, you know, it's it's just there. I didn't sit there and say, I want to learn the piano or I want to do, I mean, you talked about the winery. Yes. I have a, a very minimal investment. <laughs> I wish I was the owner of a very minimal investment in a little California winery. And I do love wine, but I, mean, I didn't know, no, <laughs> no box wine for me, but I literally just got it. It's just one of those things. But I would say be, you know, this is part of your thing. Be true to your authentic self. That's really what it is. You, Cause the bottom line is you don't have to sell out to do what you want. You don't have to sell. And I have a lot of friends who are much more successful than me, whatever. But I can almost sometimes feel their envy of, you know, they might have the bigger house and the nicer job and this and kind of stuff. But they're, you know, when you sit there and say, what did you like again? What did you do yesterday? I went to a museum and got a mummified dinosaur. bone. People are like, what? What what, what are you carrying around? That's a piece of the moon. Like, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, at a cocktail party, I almost always win. You know, I mean, no, I, mean I mean, look, one, one once in a while, there's an astronaut or a rodeo clown. But other than that, I'm usually pretty much I'm, 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 I tend it tends to make me more interesting. I'll put it that way. I love it. Um, I'm about to ask you a question. That I'm confident you've never been asked before. Oh, boy. Here's danger zone.
0: Um, if you were a dinosaur. Yes. What would you be and why?
1: Have wow. you been asked this question? No, I haven't. That's I, I do get asked a lot of strange questions. I used to. It's funny. I used to. Um, I used to be a, a, in my opinion, the world's greatest guest speaker to schools. And I go to like fifth grade and stuff. And man, I would be because it's not about me. It's about the props. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I would just. Well, I'm if, in fifth grade mentally. Yeah, so right. I'm, but I mean, you start is... showing a kid a piece of diet, they don't care what you're talking about. You know, it doesn't matter at all. But I mean, I think I think that's kind of it. I mean, I in a weird way. You know, the two most iconic dinosaurs, and you still see this today, you even see it in sales, are, you know, T Rex on the theropod or the meat eating side, and triceratops, you know, on, on the other side because of the horns and the frill and everything. I mean, they're they're memorialized in movies and cartoons and everything. I kind of like the big sauropods, the big, you know giant what what we think of as a dinosaur i mean I'm, I'm old school i like a dinosaur that looks like a dinosaur so i want it to be big and reptilian and whatever just like with meteorites i like the big honking iron meteorites because they look like a meteorite you know i didn't bring in you know one of those because the weight and everything is crazy but i mean the lunar and martian materials unbelievably it's great and it's collectible but when people think about a meteorite they want to see a big chunk of metal that they can envision you know flying through the atmosphere and hitting a car and leaving a giant hole in the ground and that kind of stuff so i think I think I would be a big sauropod dinosaur, probably like a, an apatosaurus or, you know, one of those kind of things. Although, you know, you're not going to be the top, you know, top of the chain. So there's a big risk about that and kind of hard to, li- to live and how much you have to eat and all that kind of stuff. But I, I would be a big giant dinosaur if I was a dinosaur.
0: Bonus question. What if they named a dinosaur after you? What would it be called?
1: Well, it's interesting. In in, in this community, and again, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not an active person. I've written a lot of articles, but I mean, I'm not publishing science or doing anything like that. I'm not actively digging. I've done some stuff, whatever. But in our business, having a species named after you is kind of the holy grail of ego. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, I am sort of coming up with some kind, you know, and normally you've got, you know, when we talk about stuff, you have genus and species, okay? So normally... You know, I'm, I'm thinking of some kind of dinosaur, you know, it would be like, you know, uh, and you want to do something like with your name. So, well, creosaurus is, is a funny thing people joke about, but my thing would be something like a Diplodocus eye because you know normally you have kind of two eyes on the end of things to to give it some of that science so i think there would be something out there there would be a you know there would be diplodocus kisikii or you know tyrannosaurus kisikii so something that i could put kisik on the last name of would be oh, i just cool. connected the kisikia yeah yeah that's kind of how people do it so wow
0: yeah crazy um, huh Last question, how do we best support you? How do we find you, whether it's social media, whether it's in the auctions? What do we do to be a Craig fan even more so than we are today?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I I, I love this and I love to spread sort of the you know, the, the, the gospel of paleontology and all this kind of stuff that we do. I mean, heritage is, you know, right here in Dallas. And, you know, I don't know if people know that where, you know, we, we just, in the last couple of years, we moved right out by DFW airport. We have previews, we have auctions all the time. I mean, I would love people who are interested in this to reach out to me. I don't do a lot of social media. I think heritage might as a company. You know, I'm I'm old school. It's kind of passed me by, like I said, my I actually do own a flip phone, so it's kinda of, kinda of hard for me. But I mean I would, you know, support is I would love for people to know that no is you know, natural history, people know they go to museums and so I don't know if they know that it's attainable out there and it can be purchased out there. And you know, obviously I, I do everything by the book, even as president of AAPS. We are we have a code of ethics, we are into ethical you know, preservation, collection, stuff like that. But um, one of our taglines is a fossil not collected is a fossil not protected. As soon as a fossil starts weathering out, if you don't collect it, it's gone, lost to science. There's a lot of people in academia who think, well, you shouldn't sell fossils or only scientists should study. So, well, the, the, the amateur people add so much to the lexicon of paleontology that's a little bit ridiculous. So, you know, I mean, every every fossil shouldn't be in a museum Hmm. and these things can be sold. And my hope too is that ultimately they would be. I hope whoever buys this dinosaur tail repatriates it to another museum. I I actually hope a large benefactor here in Dallas would buy that meteorite and give it to the pro. The pro is an outstanding world-class collection of minerals, incredible dinosaurs, most of which are Texas focused. They don't have any meteorites. Well, start your meteorite collection at the Pro by buying one of the best meteorites that's ever been offered for sale. You know, hey, wait, I'll guarantee you, if you have a friggin' 40-pound piece of the moon, people are going to be impressed when they walk in there, no matter what else. Especially if you're wearing much. it like a
0: necklace. There it, there it is, yeah. Uh, email address. Are we able to give your email address Absolutely. out?
1: Absolutely. The best way to get to me is very simple, K at ha.com. How about Just that? C-R-A-I-G-K at Craig K at ha.com. And that will get right to me. I do my best to reach out and answer but no no question is a silly question no request is too out there i mean you know Look up Heritage Auctions, HA.com. As you know, we've got incredible music memorabilia that you love in all kinds of categories. It's a great company. We're growing. We're vibrant. We're, you know, always ready to help people. If they've got property that they want to monetize and they don't know what to do with it, I mean, we're, you know, and we're the group that sold the $9 million gold doubloon and we sold the $12 million Mickey Mantle baseball card. And, I mean, Heritage Heritage is your go-to place for any High level collectible, and we're you know right here in your backyard. I love it. I am going to ask you one more question. Yes, sir. Describe
0: yourself in one word, and then we wrap it up. One word. Complex.
1: Because I'm because I'm not I'm, one word. Well, only because we're just all across the thing. You know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a contradiction in terms, but I can't get that down to one one word. So complex. Mm-hmm. This was awesome. Uh,
0: this it was is, awesome. This is exactly what I thought it was going to be okay. in the
1: greatest way right. possible. Right. Right. Well, and, the, for, and this is exactly, I had no idea what this was going to be. So <laughs> I, I almost want to say this is exactly not what I thought this was going to be. But then again, there we go. So it's good. Well, uh,
0: thanks for joining us today. And I hope you all can uh, just get an ounce of that passion uh, that Craig just exudes uh, as much as anybody I've ever met. So thanks for coming today. And thanks for sharing your story. Well, no,
1: I appreciate it. And, and, and people, you know, come out to Heritage and see See the dinosaur tail, see the lunar meteorite. It's pretty it's 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 they're they're game changers. Thanks. Glad hey, I hope we can do it again.